Amen. Whoa, this is high. Can we get that a little bit lower? How do I do that? Okay. Praise the Lord, y'all. I said, y'all, I'm from Alabama. Don't mind me. I, I left there when I was about nine years old. But I tell people, once you learn to talk right, why would you change? So... It's a blessing to be here. Before we get into the Word, I just want to say a couple things. Um, it's been great to meet many of you over the last couple weeks and looking forward to meeting more people in the coming weeks. Um, I would be remiss if I did not introduce my wife, Harriet, of 33 years. Stand up, baby. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her. I don't know where I'd be in the Lord if it wasn't for her. Some of y'all who have a, a good spouse know how that person can really help you grow in Jesus Christ. And the Bible says when a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing. And I, I didn't just get a good thing, I got a good thing in, in <laughs> Miss Harriet. So... I thank God for her. I tell people all the time, she's a small piece of leather, but she's well put together. So I love that girl, and I'm excited to be at New Life. Let's, I would like us to stand together this morning, if we can, for a minute, and we're going to look at Acts chapter 2. I, I want us to read the verses together. If you can put them up on the board, it's in... Oh, gosh, I want to make sure my computer doesn't fall over on this thing. Um, but Acts chapter 2, yeah, if you can hook that up for me, verses 42 through 47. We're just going to be in uh, the book of Acts as we have been. So I'll start in. You guys start in right with me. And this is from the NIV. My understanding was that's what's usually used here, but people use other ones too. But let's jump in. NIV, Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day... They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Today, I'm going to talk on the theme, the power of faith-filled community, the power of faith-filled community. Let me pray, and then you can be seated. Father, thank you so much for your word. I know that your word is fed here and has been for 35 years in this place to your people. We pray that even today, as we hear your word, that we would hear it with expectation that you want to do something in our lives, that, Lord, you would dig out those hard places in our ears, that you would soften hard places in our hearts, and that by your Holy Spirit, you would move among your people. So be with us now, we pray, and have your way. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
You may be seated. The power of faith-filled community is what we're going to talk about today. And, and really, in the next two weeks, because I'll be preaching next week as well, there's an overarching theme for the two weeks, and that is God's church. God's church is Christian community on mission. That's what the church is. It's God's community of people on mission. If it's not that, it's not the church. And so today, I'm going to focus on what it means to be a community of believers, a faith-filled community. We've seen that here in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. It's been preached over the last couple of weeks how God poured out His Spirit and 3,000 souls were added to the church in one day on the day of Pentecost. And now you have this new community. And Dr. Luke, who's writing the book of Acts as well as he's writing the Gospel of Luke, presents to us in these verses that we're looking at today the ideal community. An ideal community. Now, I'm wondering, though, Mike Del Vecchio, thank you for helping me today. I'm wondering, though, how many of you have experienced church as something less at times than the ideal community? It ain't perfect all the time. I tell people all the time, there's two places. If you are a sincere Christian, there's two places I can pretty much guarantee you you're going to get hurt. That is in your family, because families aren't perfect. And in the church, if you're drawing close in relationship, you're going to get hurt sometimes. It's messy sometimes. My wife and I have been through difficulties in church over our time. And I remember before we came to Philadelphia in 1989, we were in a church that we both believed that this would be the church that we're in for the rest of our lives. I heard the preacher preaching. I saw people getting saved. God was moving. It was a multicultural congregation, and God was moving in great ways. But at one point in time, the pastor got off the path of the gospel. And when he did, he went straight into heresy. I mean, not a little bitty stick my toe into heresy, but heresy that says sin is no problem anymore. The kind of heresy that ended up in this former church where God was moving, becoming a cult, where people died because they weren't allowed to get medical care without the pastor say so. It's a mess. I hope no one's experienced that kind of mess, but we've all experienced at different times the hardness of being together in close proximity in God's church and in community. Sometimes it's led me to feel like I just want to get away from all these folks, all this difficulty. It gets hard. We don't see things the same way, and obviously the way I see things is right and the way others see things are wrong. And everybody's saying the same thing. And it's hard sometimes, and sometimes it really gets difficult. And I have yearned for a just me and Jesus life that cuts out the middleman. But I come back to this thing, this Bible, the Word of God, and I found out that there's no such thing as a me and Jesus life. 
the, 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 the life of the believer is not only wrapped up, tied up, and tangled up in Jesus, but in his church, among his people, in his community of believers. It is wrapped up in the very nature of our God himself. No other religion knows a God like our God. Our God, who is a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, living eternally from eternity to eternity in eternal community. How dare we think that we would make it and grow in that God apart from the community, his church. So we come to this passage in Acts chapter 2. 3,000 people have just come to the Lord from the sermon of the formerly pitiful Peter, who's now the powerful preaching apostle because he's got the Holy Ghost at work in his life. All these people come together, and God presents us with this ideal of community. There's six marks that we're going to look at briefly today of faith-filled community, deep devotion. We'll see that God inspired awe, extravagant generosity, persistent togetherness, unending praise, and supernatural fruitfulness. Let's look at each one of these. We'll look at it one at a time. The first one is this. In verse 42, the scripture says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The first mark of a genuine Christian community is deep devotion. There is a deep devotion. That word devotion means to hold fast to something, to continue in it, to persevere in one course of action. It means to have a single-minded fidelity to a course of action. And my guess is that every person in this room is devoted to something, probably to many things. I hope so. How many students are in this room? How many students in any grade? I see that hand. I see that hand. Every preacher wants to say, I see that hand. So (laughs) I see those hands. I hope as a student, you're devoted to your studies. You have a single-minded devotion to make sure that you do the very best you can to excel in your studies. But listen, y'all, we're devoted to all kinds of other things. Do I have any under 30s in the room? Raise your hand if you're under 30. Amen. Glory to God. I love it. I know we have some over 30s as well. We got, we got everything. But so, some, some of the young folks I know are devoted to Call of Duty. They're devoted to NBA 2K18. They're devoted to Super Mario Odyssey. I don't know these games, but I know they're devoted to those things. Now, I read something in Forbes magazine that said over 50, about 40 to 50% are involved in video game apps on their phones. Anybody have an app on their phone, older folks, that you, you just like and you play? Okay, I see that hand. So even older folks may be involved in something like 1010 or Bejeweled or Angry Birds. We're devoted to these things. Listen, we're devoted to all kinds of stuff. You, we have people devoted to cars. We're devoted to our yards. We're devoted to our shoes. And we're sometimes devoted to our booze. <laughs> I hope we're devoted to our booze, right? We're devoted to all kinds of things, but the question is, 
what were the people in this chapter, in Acts chapter 2, what were they devoted to? Let's look at what the Bible has to say. These newly made saints of God in Acts 2, they were devoted, first of all, the Bible says, to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What does that mean? The apostles' teaching was hearing the words from those who were eyewitnesses to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this beginning community of the church was devoted to hearing the word of proclamation of the apostles who had lived with and seen and witnessed Christ and his humiliation and Christ in his resurrection and exaltation. They were devoted to hearing that word. And we have several places in Scripture that show us what a distillation of that teaching looks like. One place is 1 Corinthians, verse 15, 3 through 5. Paul says here, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. This is the apostles' teaching. Look what God has done for us. Another place we see the apostles teaching in Philippians chapter 2. In the NIV, I put it out on this way on the slide, but if you look in an NIV, if you look in some other translations, you'll see it's put in poetic verse because it was probably a verse or a hymn of the early church that people could memorize and get in their souls. This is the apostles teaching. And I'll quote it this way. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, he did not not consider equality with God as something to be grasped or the NIV says used to his own advantage. But he made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, The scripture says he was found in appearance as a man and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Then the scripture says, therefore, also God highly exalted him and gave him a name that's above every other name, that the name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. This is the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching is about Jesus Christ for these first century believers, this new and fledgling, newly born church. The apostles' teaching meant we want to know everything we can about Jesus who is our Christ and our Savior. And so the question for us, not as a first century church, but as a 21st century church, is this. What does the apostles' teaching mean to you? And I hope that the apostle teaching means to us that we are people who are dedicated to the apostles' teaching through reading, through studying, through meditating on, through memorizing, and through doing the Word of God. We are a people as a community that is marked by 
Jesus. Listen, the Bible is the God-ordained means by which Christians grow. I'll bet I have a few people here, like me, that think that they are urban farmers. Any urban farmers, any people who are into their gardens and stuff like that, who like to, basically I like to play in the dirt. That's, that's what, it, what it really is. And my yard goes from here to about there. I live in Philly, so that's, that's what it is. But I like to do something. I like to get my hands dirty. Listen, the Bible for the Christian is the miracle grow of the Christian life. When we're in the Word, we're able to grow and thrive as God meant us to. But when we're not, when we neglect a life of robust engagement with the Word of God, our spiritual lives atrophy, and we become powerless and weak. Let me make the illustration this way. Who knows Francis Chan? Okay. Francis Chan uses this kind of illustration. It says, imagine that your 11-year-old daughter, you're a father, and you say to your 11-year-old daughter, Megan, we'll call her Megan, I want you to clean your room. And Megan says, gotcha, Dad, and Megan goes away. You see Megan a couple of hours later, and you say, Megan, did you clean your room? Dad, I am so glad you asked me that question. I'm just thrilled you asked me that question. You know what? When you told me to clean my room, I immediately went right to my room. Good. And, and when I went to my room, I saw it's a mess. And, and I saw where every part of the mess was. There was mess over here. There were things on the ground over here. It, this needed vacuuming. This needed, the bed needed to be made. The clothes needed to be taken out of the corner. I surveyed that room, Dad. I saw every place where it needed to be cleaned up. It's a mess, Dad. I'm telling you it's a mess. I meditated on exactly how it would be if I was to straighten things out. But, Dad, I'm going to tell you what. I was not, that was just not enough for me, Dad. I went further than that. I looked up the word clean in the Greek. The, the word is katharizo. And Dad, that means to clean, to put straight, to put in order. Hallelujah, Dad. And, but, Dad, that's not enough for me. I called five of my best friends. They're coming over in three hours, and we're going to talk about what a clean room would look like. Dad, are you happy with that result? Probably not. Listen, devotion to the Word of God means a dedication to doing. None of us does it perfectly. Far from it. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need his grace. But, but, but listen, we are not just to be those who become, as James says, hearers of the word, but those who do it. Devotion demands a dedication to doing. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were also devoted to three other things we see in the verse. They were devoted to fellowship. That, that simply means they were devoted to coming together as a group of people. Koinonia, you've heard that word before if you've been at New Life. I'm sure you have. It means a close association with mutual understanding and sharing of life with one another. This whole passage is about koinonia. This whole passage is about what fellowship looks like. And they were also, the Bible says, devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, just so we don't get it twisted, 
when it says they were devoted to breaking bread, that does not mean that they were devoted to going to the shop right into the bread section and breaking up every loaf of bread. That's not what it means. They were devoted to having meals together with one another. They were devoted, and specifically the way Luke says this in Acts chapter 2 reminds us of what Dr. Luke said in Luke chapter 22 when he talks about the institution of the Lord's Supper on that Passover day. And the Lord says he broke bread with his disciples. So it's not just having a common meal together, but it's a common meal where we remember what Christ has done for us. And so what this is saying is, as the early church were devoted to this, we can't get enough of this Jesus stuff. Boy, I think that would work pretty good today. Can't get enough of this Jesus stuff. And then it says they were devoted to prayer. Literally, in Greek, it says they were devoted to the prayers. Has the definite article, and it is in the plural. They were the, devoted to the prayers. We saw this phrase in Acts chapter 1 in verse 14, as they gathered in the upper room, they were praying. A Christian community that lacks prayer as a central component is like a rocket that's on the launch pad that has no fuel. You look at it and you say, man, I bet that thing can go. I bet that thing is about to take off. It can go, I don't know how fast, 10,000 miles an hour. It can go up into the upper atmosphere or even into space. Look at that rocket. That thing is something else. But the reality is it doesn't have any fuel in it. It's an empty shell that has no power to do what it was designed to do. That, brothers and sisters, is Christian community without prayer the fuel for what God wants to do through his church. Let's look at the next verse here, verse 43. I love this verse. It says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. The second mark, we can move the slide down to the second mark of Christian community is God-inspired awe. The people were in awe in this early church. Look back to verse 17. In, in Peter's sermon, I know this was preached a few weeks ago, but in this sermon, starting at verse 17, Peter is saying, this is what's happening, y'all. We're not drunk like you think. But he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Look at verse 21. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And the Bible says that this fledgling community of God's people were in awe. They saw signs and wonders at the hands of the apostles. The apostles had seen signs and wonders at the hands of Jesus. They had seen God remove, uh, move in remarkable, powerful ways as Jesus came on the scene and in the early church. I know this is a missions church. There's people who've been on all kinds of mission fields and 
Uh, we do a lot of work in Malawi, Africa. It is a privilege to go anywhere in this world as a representative for Jesus and his church. But many people on mission fields tell of stories of the miraculous move of God, in particular in places where the gospel has not been preached before. But I pray to God that we don't think of awe as something that's only relevant for first century Christians or people on the mission field. Because if that's what you think, you're missing God at work in your life right now. See, God is here now. God is here and moving. And if you haven't seen it, then it's not that it hasn't happened. It's just that you haven't opened your eyes to see it yet. God has kept you from things you don't even know about that the enemy and ways he would want to destroy you. God has kept you from temptation. God has kept your body. If you are here inhaling and exhaling, God has blessed you. Christians are people who have eyes to see God and Him at work. The lack of awe in a Christian community is a sign that we've lost our focus on Jesus and we've done this, we've downsized God. I don't know about you, but when I go through the drive-thru, I haven't done this in a while, praise God, to the drive-thru at McDonald's, they're always trying to upsize me. But what we do is we downsize God. And instead of having this great big God, we have a shrunken little God who is relatively impotent to change our circumstances, and therefore we live with listlessness, hopelessness, and we're overwhelmed by the challenges of living in a fallen world. Listen, for all of us, living in this world is hard. You become a Christian, it don't get easier. I'm sorry to every English teacher in the room, but it don't get easier. Being a Christian doesn't make life easier. It's hard. But listen, when we trade in the Jesus of the Bible, the lion of the tribe of Judah, for our comfortable version of little JJ, or I would say little JJ, L-I-L, y'all don't know what I'm talking about, but whose meow doesn't bother a mouse, there's no reason to live in awe anymore. But listen, when you understand you find yourselves face to face with the God who's in the Bible, the living God, the almighty God, the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords, the King of of kings, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the sovereign God of the universe, the conquering Christ, then we live in awe and we live in expectation of what God will do. Listen, I want to give you three marks of, of a church and a people who live with awe. First of all, they expect to experience God's saving grace even in their own families. I expect, I may not see any sign of it in the natural, but I expect my God will save. Secondly, all believes that God 
can revive our churches and wants to plunder the camp of the enemy all around us. He wants to bring people from death to life. He wants to transfer people from the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of his beloved son. God wants to do that. And awe-inspired Christians say, you know what? I believe God can. And I believe he will. Not only that, awe-filled believers know that God is bigger than any problem we face. He's more powerful than any sickness or disease. He is able and nothing can come up against the risen Lord and the exalted Christ whom we serve through the power of the Holy Spirit. Awe believes, awe expects, and awe knows. Now, don't get it twisted. I'm not talking about denying the hardship of life, grief that we experience, difficult times, but in the community of God's people, filled with an awe and expectant sense that God is on the move, we're able to work through those things for his glory. Not only that, look at verses 44 and 45. Scripture says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. The third mark of uh, the spirit-filled community of believers is extravagant generosity. Extravagant generosity. Now, we know that the situation in Jerusalem was a specific situation. The Bible says that people had come from every nation under heaven, and then uh, in the book of Acts, it lists 15 different nations that go all the way from Asia and the border of India through the entire Middle East into Africa and as far west in Europe as Italy and Rome. And all of these people have come together at one time under the providence of God at just the right time, and God pours out his Holy Ghost. God does that, but because of that situation, people's lives get changed. We would say they get rocked. How many people know that word? But their lives got rocked for Jesus. And everything they knew changed. And so people from all these countries who maybe came with a little something-something to make it by for a few days to go to the festival are now hanging out here for a while because this Jesus thing is taking over their life. And so you have this community of people, and not only that, we know if you read Dr. Luke's account in both his gospel and in the book of Acts, you'll know that many of those who came to Christ were among the poor. In Palestine in the first century, the large majority of people were poor. And so these people come together, and there's great need, but then God does something remarkable. God calls those who have means, who have property, who have ability, to sell what they have and put it into a common pot so that there's no member of the community that is left needing and There's extraordinary generosity that goes on in this early church. Now, we know it doesn't always stay that way. As a matter of fact, if you just keep reading through the book of Acts, you start seeing hashtag messy church all over the place. You get to verse 5 and Priscilla, not Priscilla and Aquila. um, What's the couple there in Acts chapter 5? 
Ananias and Sapphira say, we sold our property and here's all the proceeds. It wasn't all the proceeds. It was half the proceeds. And the Holy Spirit says, you need to rest, Ananias. Same thing happens to Sapphira. We know in Acts chapter 6, there's an issue with the widows and the, 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 the widows who are Jewish and speak Hebrew and Aramaic, they're being taken care of by the early church. But those that are Hellenistic and they may be even more uh, geared towards Greek culture, they're being neglected in the early church. So I'm not trying to point a picture like the early church is perfect, but this is our ideal picture in Acts chapter 2. And what we see happening here is the extravagant generosity of people to make sure that everyone in the body of Christ is cared for. That's what God calls us to be as a church. We take care of one another in practical ways. That means we have to look at money and possessions in a very different way. How do we take care of one another? Let me give you two real practical things with that. Number one, budget generosity. You know, some of you are, how many Dave Ramsey people are here? Okay, amen, hallelujah, glory to God. That's good stuff. And, and different ways of stewardship. But listen, the first thing in stewardship, you know, is giving to God, right? But what do we do besides a legalistic, okay, tithing means I'm going to give 10%, 10% equals of my paycheck, $132.18 I've given, I've done for God what I should do for God. That's not generosity. Generosity says not how much do I have to give, but how much do I get to give. Generosity says I want to be a blessing. If God has given me some means and there are others that are struggling, how can I help? The second thing, just in practical ways, is to embrace flexibility. Because no matter how tight your budget is, stuff happens but not only the stuff that happens in your life when your car breaks down, but in your brother or sister when they're going through a hard time. How rigid am I with what goes in what little pocket? Or how much am I able to say, God, what would you have me to do? Listen, God isn't calling us to do what they did in Acts chapter 2, sell everything and put it in a common pot. God's not calling us to do that, and God is not calling you to meet every need that you see. You couldn't do it if you tried. But God is probably calling many of us beyond what we know to liberally give and to help others in need and to give to the work of the church. Let's look at the next piece here in verse 46. The scripture says, Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now, I'm going to give you a test. This is the easiest test you'll ever take because the answer is every day, but I'm going to ask the question anyway, okay? Did you get that? So let me ask you, congregation of New Life Church, uh, on what day, on what day did they continue to meet together? Aha! On what day did they meet in the temple courts? You're right about it. In what day did they break bread in their homes? In what day were they praising? Every day. And so the, the, this point is persistent togetherness. 
they were they persisted in it. When I was first studying this passage and, and, and working on this message, I, I wrote down consistent togetherness. But I saw really that it's more than just being consistent, it's being persistent. It's one thing to say, I'm going to be consistent in this new habit, especially if it's a good habit. It's hard to establish new habits that are good, and we need to be consistent in it. But really, if we're going to make it through, we need to be persistent at it. That means that when it's not convenient, we do it anyway. That means that when it's hard, we do it anyway. That means that when our schedule doesn't fit stuff, we move our schedule around so that we can be a part of the community of God's people. They made this a point to be persistent in coming together with one another. The fifth mark is unending praise. We saw that already in this verse. Beginning of verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. The the verb that's used there for praising is a verb that doesn't mean that they praised God and then they went on to the next thing. The tense of that verb means that praising God was the continual, ongoing, time after time reality of this community of God's people they were marked as people that just kept on praising his name. They were people that wouldn't shut up about Jesus, in other words. They were excited about him, and they were praising him. Now, I said already that many of the people gathered in this community were poor. They were struggling. We might say that some of them were broke, busted, and maybe even disgusted. But they had a choice to make, and they chose to continue to praise God. Life don't get easy when you become a Christian. You've got to make a choice. Daily, will I praise the living God? Doesn't mean I deny how hard things is, are, but I'm going to make a choice to praise the living God. Brothers and sisters, Satan wants to sideline your praise. He wants to turn your devotion into desolation. He wants to move your focus from celebration to frustration. He wants you to be a murmurer. God wants to put his praise on your lips. The people of God in spirit-filled community are marked as a people of praise. May that mark our lives as well. Last thing, the last part of verse 47, I love this. The scripture says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Look at that phrase, the Lord added. The Lord added. Not their great understanding of presuppositional apologetics added. Not... The fact that they were the best-looking people in Jerusalem and therefore people admired them and added. It's not that they were a people who obviously had it all together. I want to be like them. And there was added, but the Lord added. Because that's what God wants to do for his church. 
He wants to grow his church. He wants more sons and more daughters. A greater community. We're living in exciting days. We're not in Acts chapter 2 anymore, but we are in Acts chapter 29. Someone said, you're wrong, preacher. There's only 28 chapters in the book of Acts. You're right. But what I mean by Acts 29 is that after Paul's journey is wrapped up in Acts 28, God keeps on moving. And we live in the time, I know y'all know this language at New Life, we live in between the already, and you already know what I'm going to say, the not yet. We live in the time when God, by his Holy Spirit and through the risen Christ, is raising up a people without number from every tribe, every tongue, every nation under the heaven that will praise and glorify the name of Jesus Christ. We're living in the time when God is pouring out his Spirit on all flesh, men and women, children, black and white, Hispanic, Asian, Native American, any other thing you can think of, rich and poor, black and white, God is doing his work. That's where we live right now. And the same God that added daily to his church is doing it now. Here's the question, brothers and sisters. Do you believe you have a part in what God is doing? Do you believe that New Life Church has a part in what God is doing, not just a little part, but a significant part in what God wants to do. I promise you one thing, and the pulpit committee knows it because we talked about it. I would not be here right now today if I didn't believe that was the case, that God has a work for this church that goes way beyond these walls to reach people with the good gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me close with this. God's, the church is God's community on mission. We won't do mission well if we're not living in faith-filled community. We just won't. Let me say it another way. We cannot do mission well. We will not do mission well. We won't even care about mission for very long. We won't even care about it if we're not coming together in the community of believers doing the one another's of the New Testament. Brothers and sisters, God is calling you to play a part in making new life Philly a faith-filled community where Christ is clearly seen and lives are being transformed. I'm about to call up the prayer team in just one second. As I do that, I want you just to consider... What of all these things that we looked at today, if you could put the six things up on the board again, what is God doing in your life? Where is he calling you to increase faithfulness in him? Think about what God is doing. And if, when the prayer team comes up, if you want to pray with someone to do that, please do that. And ask God to make you an even more significant contributor what he wants to do in you, through you, and through this glorious church for his glory. Let me pray. Musicians can come up. Somebody might need. 
this? Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that you are at work in your church. Lord, I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice. It starts with me. You know my deficiencies. You know where I'm not measuring up. We thank you that Christ measured up for all of us. But Lord, call us to greater faithfulness to one another and therefore to you. Be with us, we pray, in all these things. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.